Church family, it is good to be back with you after uh, not being here uh, last week. We were um, out of town, and I'll talk a little bit uh, more about that later, but I, I just want to say thank you uh, to the many of you who, who, uh, who stepped up, and um, uh, I, I was able to go back and, and uh, watch the service, and um, man, it was, it was powerful. And on a, on a Pentecost Sunday, too, the, the Spirit was here, so, uh, so I'm thankful for that. Um, uh, and, and Don, especially, thank you for your words. Thank you for allowing the Lord's words, God's words, to go through you um, and, and lead us in that way. Uh, CJ and I, didn't, we didn't join the live stream uh, when we were, we were in Oregon celebrating our 10th anniversary. We'd never been to Oregon. We thought, I've heard that's, that's pretty. Let's go out there. And so we did, and, and we had a wonderful time, uh, just the two of us, as uh, CJ's mom graciously took over the kids uh, for a week. And so we just, we didn't even know what to do with ourselves. We sat in an exit row on the plane. It was, we, we had these extra little luxuries that was, that was so cool. But we went, uh, and it was very interesting as we uh, got on Google and, and I searched churches near me. <laughs> and that's how we found the church that we attended. Uh, it was not a Nazarene church, there wasn't one nearby. So we just, we found a church and attended there um, in Oregon and I walked into a church building, and uh, there was one person there who knew that I was a pastor, and I was married to her. Um, no one else knew I was a pastor, and I felt like an undercover cop or something like that. It's, you know, watching, and what, a, what an experience that was for me just to receive the word, um, and it was beautiful. But man, I missed it here, and I missed it. And that church there, and I won't, I won't name names, that church there, they're doing good things. And, and we had a wonderful time and a wonderful worship service, but nothing was mentioned about Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> and that just, for a Wesleyan Holiness Nazarene pastor, what? And so I was able then later on in the week to, to get on and, and uh, hear uh, um, Don's sermon. And man, that's a Pentecost message. And thank you for that. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit matters and is still working and active and alive today. So, uh, so, so thankful for that. Um, and, and we're going back uh, to the Gospel of Mark today, and we're going to be, um, man, th- this is, we're into chapter 8 now. We're halfway through the Gospel of Mark, and this is where things start to get real. I mean, they start, to, we're going to see some stories and hear some messages who hold on tight. So turn with me to Mark chapter 8, and I want to see, we've got two messages today, and in Mark chapter 8... Um, Jesus is going to speak to two people, two different people, and uh, I think both messages are for us today, and we'll just hold on tight. I hope I don't step on too many toes, but I hope the Holy Spirit does, okay? Can I say it that way? Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, there was another large crowd with nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for this crowd. Because they've been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they won't have enough strength to travel, for some have come from a long distance. His disciples responded, how can anyone get enough food in this wilderness to satisfy, to satisfy these people? Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? They said, seven loaves. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke them apart, and gave them to his disciples to distribute, and they gave the bread to the crowd. They also had a few fish. He said a blessing over them and then gave them to the disciples to hand out also. They ate until they were full. They collected seven baskets full of leftovers. 
This was a crowd of about 4,000 people. Jesus sent them away, then got into a boat with his disciples and went over to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees showed up and began to argue with Jesus. To test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. With an impatient sigh, Jesus said, Why does this generation look for a sign? I assure you that no sign will be given to it. Leaving them, he got back in the boat and crossed to the other side of the lake. Jesus' disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, so they had only one loaf with them in the boat. He gave them strict orders. Watch out and be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees as well as the yeast of Herod. The disciples discussed this among themselves. He said this because we have no bread. Jesus knew what they were discussing and said, Why are you talking about the fact that you don't have any bread? Don't you grasp what has happened? Don't you understand? Are your hearts so resistant to what God is doing? Don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? Don't you have ears? Why can't you hear? Don't you remember? When I broke five loaves of bread for those 5,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather? They answered, Twelve. And when I broke seven loaves of bread for the 4,000 people, how many basketfuls of leftovers did you gather? They answered, seven. And Jesus said to them, and you still don't understand? That's it. (laughs) The word of the Lord this morning, a little bit of a cliffhanger for us. And I think that's intentional from Mark. But Jesus here feeds 4,000 people, and isn't that amazing? And I would say... It would be really amazing, except it's just a couple of chapters back. Well, Jesus fed 5,000 people, right? 5,000 people were fed. And so in chapter 6, it was the feeding of a crowd of 5,000. Chapter 8, let's do it again. Only this time there was 4,000. So if the story sounds familiar, it's because there are a lot of similarities between these two stories. But they are not the same story. These, this is Jesus doing it again in a different setting in similar ways. And so there are some similarities here I, I want us to see. Jesus had compassion on both crowds. So you could go back and see in that story of the 5,000, one of the first things he says, Jesus had compassion on them. And this story in chapter 8, Jesus felt sorry for these people. That Jesus cared. And that was the driving force of why he did what he did. He cared for these people. It wasn't a show. It wasn't to gain credit. It wasn't to show off his power. There was a real need there, and he met that need. Jesus did both of these with the help of his disciples. And this has fascinated me. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But Jesus could have just done the job himself, but Jesus didn't actually feed the 5,000. He multiplied and then gave it to his disciples, and his disciples were the ones who distributed the food in both stories. Now, I've got a five-year-old and a one-year-old at home. And every once in a while, I get this. Daddy, can I help? And in my head, I want to say, probably not. (laughs) If we're being honest, can I help you do that thing? Yeah, sure, kid. Here's the hammer. Or what? No. But, But I want them to want to help. And sure, you know, and so what we've got, and I was working outside yesterday, and what we've got is uh, our, our girls, they're loving, they're loving birds these days. So we have a bird feeder with bird seed, and we've added a hummingbird feeder with, uh, with hummingbird nectar, and they love to see these birds. 
And we were out of uh, birdseed, and so I get the, and it's, it's one of the tube things, and so I got that out there, and I'm, I'm doing it. And I hear behind me, Daddy, can I help? And I'm thinking, well, probably no, <laughs> because what you have to do, and it's, it's a pretty simple, it's kind of a one-man job. You know, you, you take the bag of birdseed, you, you take the lid off the, the bird feeder, stick the cup in there, and pour it in. And it's a plastic cup, so you kind of squeeze it, and then, then, it, then it goes in easily. Or if a five-year-old is, you just, <laughs> and, um, and now it's, you, you can tell where we generally load our uh, bird feeder, because the grass is really good right there. <laughs> a lot of the seeds are, are falling out. But I'm okay with my girls asking for help. I could probably do it quicker. I could do it better. I could just get the job done, but yet I, I like it when they want to help, and I can teach them something, and they can learn, and they can be a part of it. And now when they see the birds eating, oh, that's, that's something they did. They, they were a part of that. And I wonder, too, as I think about why in the world would God, could God miraculously do this without any help? Yeah. He's powerful enough. He could. And yet time and time again throughout Scripture and even these days, in modern days, that God uses his people, that God says, hey, come help me. Come be a part of this. There's someone who needs some encouragement, someone who needs to be loved on, someone who needs help, someone who needs correction, so, all of these things. And God could just eh, make it happen, just do it in their life. But time and time again, and he has set up the church, the body of believers, to be his agents in this world. It's awesome. So Jesus did both with the help, with the help of his disciples here. And Jesus has um, the bread, the fish, and he brings his disciples in. Go, 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 go do it. Go do it. And of course, the bread and the fish were multiplied in each story. And all were fed. All were fed until they were full. They got, they got plenty. It wasn't just a bite. They got plenty. And, of course, there were leftovers. There were 12 baskets full in the first story, seven in the second story, and those numbers certainly have meaning. But then there are some differences as well. Of course, there were 5,000 the first time. There's only 4,000 this time. And different people made up the crowds. In the first story, it was the Jewish people. It was the people who were a part of Jesus' you know, extended family. It's where he came out of. The descendants of Abraham. These were the Jewish people, God's chosen people in the Old Testament. But in this story of feeding the 4,000, these are largely uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And yet it worked for both. And in the amount of leftovers, you know, we mentioned 12 and, and 7. And so where we land here with both of these miracles is that the story continues in chapter 8 with two different messages that Jesus has, two different things Jesus is trying to say. The first message is for the crowds. Jesus' message for the crowds. For the 5,000 Jews, there is enough for you and your family. And you can eat until you're full. And we got some leftovers. There is enough for all of you. You descendants of Abraham, in the kingdom of God, there is a place at the table for you. For the 4,000 Gentiles, in this story in chapter 8, there is enough for you and your family. And you can eat till you're full. And there's leftovers 
you may not be from the right family or the right country or you may, you may feel like an outsider, but in the kingdom of God, there's a place at the dinner table for you as well. And it made me wonder as I think about this, who do we have here today, even who is in attendance today or just part of our church, do you feel like you are an insider or do you feel like you're an outsider when it comes to our church? And I'm not asking for you to fill out a form or raise your hand one way or the other, but I, but I, I do wonder that as a pastor. You might feel like an insider if you've gone here all your life or if you just uh, attend in a lot or if you serve in a, in, in a certain way or a variety of ways or if you, you just, you're, you're familiar with things, you might feel like an insider. You're, 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 you're part of this. You might feel like an outsider if, man, I, I've been going here that long or maybe I don't know everybody or maybe I don't know the people in that pew behind me or in front of me. Or, I, or, or maybe you once were an outsider, but now you feel like an insider. Or maybe once you were an insider, but now you feel more like an outsider. I, as your pastor, I want everybody to feel like an insider. I, I want everybody to feel like this is their, their home, their church home. I, I, I want everybody to be like that, but I, I recognize that it's not always how people feel. But I can stand here today among these two stories, and I can tell whether you think you are an insider or feel like an insider, or whether you feel like you're an outsider, there's room at the table for you. There's enough for you to feast as well. There's enough for you to receive God's grace, God's mercy, God's provision. It's there for everyone, insider, outsider. If you are willing to follow Jesus, there is room for you. The message today is the same for the insider and for the outsider. Yesterday, uh, Hazel and I walked uh, downtown and enjoyed the parade. I don't know if you got to see that, but the celebration of the 150th anniversary of the city of Winfield, they had a parade, and it was such a good parade, probably the best parade I've been to, and I love parades, best parade I've been to in Winfield. Um, I think the only parades that really I've been to is the Christmas ones, and it's super cold then, so this was a lot better. The weather was great, and just everybody's just chucking candy. Uh, that's, that, that's awesome. I, I, I love candy, and... Hazel had a big old pile, and I had my dad tax going on, and we, we had a good time with, with the candy and with, with the parade. And there were cool cars and big sirens and parade floats and music playing, all, all kinds of fun. And it was fascinating in this parade, as you go by, you see there's some people who are just driving cars, you know, or, or driving, you know, the, everything from these big old honking tractors to the little Shriners, you know, cars, that, you know, all kinds of different sizes, right? Some are drivers. And then there's some beauty queens, right? There were some, some one, they have, they have the beauty queen sash, and they're, they're doing the wave, you know, just smiling, everybody's smiling at them. And, and, and so you get, you get the beauty queens, and they were kind of towards the front. And then you had, uh, at, at the back end, there were, there were three guys, and they were walking behind the horses. And the ones who were walking behind the horses, well, they weren't just walking, they had a shovel and a bucket, right? And they had a job as well, and I, the joker would say, it wasn't the top job, but it was a solid number two, right? <laughs> so, so those guys, ha <laughs> ha! So, so these, but, but what was fascinating was, whether you're a beauty queen, and you're in the convertible, and you just, you're at your, look at your best, and everybody's waving at you, or you're the guy in the back with the shovel and the bucket. 
Everybody's going in the same direction. Everybody's a part of the same parade. And everybody ended up at the same place. Hmm. Whether you're beauty queen and everybody loves you, or you're the real heroes, you know, with the shovel. <laughs> you're on the same road, moving in the same direction, and you end up at the same place. Both were part of the fun, part of the festivities, and the only way they would have missed out is if they strayed from the path. Or if they just walked off and gave up. In the kingdom of God, insider, outsider, important person, just some nobody behind the scenes. Jesus is saying, hey, anybody, everybody, just follow me. Stay on the path, and we'll get there together. So that's the message for the crowds. The message for the crowd. Man, it's just, just sit down. You'll receive. You'll receive. But I told you there's another message. The message is not for the crowds. It's not just for anybody to hear or to receive. This message comes later. The crowds are gone. They've got their bellies full. And now it's just Jesus and his disciples. Chapter 8, verse 15 Jesus says this to his disciples. He gave them strict orders. Watch out and be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees as well as the yeast of Herod. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? His disciples were confused. There's, oh, we forgot the rolls. <laughs> we forgot the bread. And Jesus, and, and Jesus man, he's, it, it can't be about bread right? And I think Jesus might be frustrated with his disciples. I think he's probably also frustrated with the Pharisees, because earlier it says the Pharisees came up and they asked for a sign in verse 11, right? And Jesus' first response was, uh, the Common English Bible describes it as an impatient sigh. Do you know how to give an impatient sigh? That's a spiritual gift, right? Imp <sighs> Boy, you're communicating a lot with that, right? Maybe throw in an eye roll for good measure. Does anybody have that spiritual gift? I, some of you do. I know that. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. We're, some are volunteering. Others are pointing. That's another spiritual gift to point out. Yeah. No, I suppose that it's good that Jesus was not also given the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Do some of you have that one? Spiritual gift of sarcasm, right? I feel like I was given that, and, and partially because I'm not sure that God had a whole lot. I mean, I mean I, he didn't give me the, the spiritual gift of, you know, height. Six foot? No. No, we're not getting there. Uh, the spiritual gift of nice hair? No, we did, that didn't work out. What's, what, what, what are we working on here? I'll give that guy a spiritual gift of sarcasm. Right. Here we go. Because I would have, if, if the Pharisees had come up to me and said, hey, show us a sign. We want a sign from heaven. It would have been very hard for me not to respond with, oh, you, you want a sign? Maybe I should go feed 4,000 people. Or maybe I should feed 5,000 people. You want that kind of sign? Maybe I should give sight to a blind man. Or hearing to a guy who's deaf. Or maybe I can take a guy who has a broken leg and let him walk. Or maybe I should bring healing to someone who's sick. Or maybe I should cast out demons. Would that work if I did any of those? He's already done those! <laughs> That's all of that has happened. And the Pharisees, oh, give us a sign. And praise the Lord for Jesus who has a, 
the patience to give an impatient sigh. Oh, are you kidding me? They missed it. It's right there. Jesus has been doing signs and wonders this entire time. I would submit that maybe the Pharisees didn't want a sign. They wanted a sign for themselves. They wanted something good to happen to them. And Jesus has no patience and no time for someone who says, I'll pay attention to you if you give me a blessing. And he says, beware of the yeast that says, if it doesn't happen to me, then it's not happening anywhere. If I don't get blessed, then there must not be any blessing anywhere. If I don't get the win, no one gets the win. That is some serious spiritual blindness. There's a song, it's an older song now, Stephen Curtis Chapman. When I was growing up, he was, he was the man in the youth group. You know, he was, he was so cool, this singer in contemporary Christian music. But one of his, it's a lesser known song, but it, it's, no, it's no saddle up your horses. But, but his song, it's called Wake Up and See the Glory. And the chorus of this song describes himself, describes Stephen Curtis Chapman as being kind of just in a, just not being able to see God's glory, but also not really looking for it. And so the chorus, he describes himself, he says, I'm playing Game Boy standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon. I know that's an older reference, but it's like staring at your phone standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon. I'm playing Game Boy, standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon. I'm eating candy, sitting at a gourmet feast. I'm waiting in a puddle when I could be swimming in the ocean. Tell me, what's the deal with me? Wake up and see the glory. I told you, CJ and I were, got away for our 10th anniversary trip, and we decided to go to Oregon, partly because we'd never been to Oregon, but we heard it was beautiful. We love to hike, and so we get out and do some hikes, but there's also the ocean there. And one of the things, we did a lot of good things, and, and there were some things. I wanted to hike. I wanted to get some good hiking. I wanted to get some beach time, and I wanted some ice cream cones, okay? So those are the things, those were the main things we did. But one thing that I wanted and that we did not get is I wanted to see a sunset into the ocean. I grew up on the East Coast, and you got to work to see the ocean, to see the sun and the, uh, coming out of the ocean there because it's early in the morning. you got to get up super early and get out there. And I love doing that. That's cool. But on the West Coast, it's the sunset. I'm already awake for that. All right, let's go and see. And every single evening, we were ready. We were going to see the sunset. And every single evening in the Pacific Northwest, do you know what happens? It rains. Or there, at the very least, there's clouds. And it would be perfectly sunny and nice, but then it would heat up inland, and that Pacific, that cold Pacific air would, would, would come in, and fog and clouds every single time. And I'm over here, I just want to see one sunset. I'm over here for five days, I just want to see one sunset. And it took a while, and we did not. We didn't see a sunset. I've heard the sunsets out there, I don't know. But what it... What I realized is, wait a minute, I live in Kansas. Do you know where the most beautiful sunsets on the planet are? I think they're right here, aren't they? And I'm going out chasing, and we went 1,800 miles. Now, we had a good trip, and we, we had fun, but I'm so fixated. I want to see a sunset. Oh, I can walk out my front door. 
I can stand in the Dillon's parking lot. You ever, you ever seen the sunsets from the Dillon's parking lot? They're gorgeous in Kansas. I just didn't see it. I, I just forgot. It was my perspective that was the problem. I think the Pharisees, on demand, Jesus, give me what I want right now. And if you don't give me what I want right now, you are obviously not the one. You're not the Messiah. You're not God. When, when the reality is, is when you say, give me what I want right now, guess who is God in that scenario? You're trying to make yourself God. You're putting yourself in charge. Consider this from Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Romans 12, 15 says, Be happy with those who are happy. Cry with those who are crying. The Pharisees could not see the beauty and the power and blessing exploding all around them because they were so focused on themselves. And if you want to miss out on the activities of God in this world today, just become so inwardly focused on your own life that you don't even bother to look around and see God's glory breaking into this world today. God is at work in this world today. He is working. He is redeeming. He is bringing about good. It's just whether you are aware of it or not. And if I could push this one step further, I love to do that. I love to push this one step further. Can I say, Jesus did not say beware of the Pharisees. He said beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. It is the attitude. It is that that attitude, that, that selfishness that spreads. It doesn't start with one person. It spreads because the sin of selfishness can so easily manifest into rumor or comparison or criticism or a cancer that spreads and spreads until it affects everyone around. If you don't believe me, ask a teacher what happens when one of the students becomes selfish. Ask a coach what one selfish player can do to the culture of a team. Ask a boss what one selfish employee can do to the morale at work. Ask a family member what one selfish person can do to a household. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And don't fall victim to what I would call spiritual blindness. And I think Mark, what Mark is doing here, and if, if you haven't noticed this, I mean, Mark is just a literary genius sometimes. He's not only trying to tell us this and present this in a way where we'll see it, he's, he's kind of shoving it down our throats. Because Jesus uses two metaphors here that Mark writes down when he's talking to his disciples. Eyes and ears. He says, don't you have eyes? Can't you see? Don't you have ears? Can't you hear? Jesus intentionally said those things, and Mark intentionally wrote them down. And guess what stories Mark told, told before and after this story? When Jesus says, don't you have eyes, can't you see? Don't you have ears, can't you hear? In the, in the story before the feeding of the 4,000, Mark tells us there was a guy who had ears but could not hear, and Jesus gave him his hearing back. And right after this story... There's a guy who is blind and could not see, and Jesus gives him his sight back. Ooh. And here's Jesus right in the middle of those, don't you have ears, can't you hear? Don't you have eyes, can't you see? This is not just about 2020 vision. This is about seeing the world as God sees the world. Lord, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? The yeast of the Pharisees wants to keep you blind and deaf to what God is doing in this world. 
Don't give in to that. Now, what about the yeast of Herod? The other part of this, the yeast of Herod. Jesus warns his disciples, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And if you'll go back and revisit what we talked about a few weeks ago, Mark chapter 6, it's a terrible story of what Herod did. Herod took John the Baptist and had him captive, kept him a prisoner. And then because of an embarrassing party etiquette error, he ended up cutting off the head of John the Baptist, executing him, just to save face at a party. And Herod, he kept what he knew of John the Baptist and, and kept John the Baptist close. And he even said in the scripture, John kept John the Baptist in prison to protect him, to, to keep him close. That didn't work out so well. And Herod kept what he knew of Jesus close, but he did not let Jesus have any impact on Herod's life or Herod's kingdom. Because ultimately, when it came time to decide, Herod killed John the Baptist. And ultimately, when it came time to deal with Jesus, guess what happened to Jesus? He was executed as well. He went to the cross. And so the yeast of Herod, I believe, is this temptation to keep Jesus close to be interested in this, to be fascinated by it, to want to be near it, but to never allow Jesus to make any change in how you live your life. I'll confess, sometimes as a pastor, it feels like a losing battle. We can do the right thing, say the right thing, sing the right thing when we gather as God's people, but the minute we are not around God's people, our lives do not look any different. They There is no change. And the message is so clear in Scripture on how to treat others, how to live lives pleasing to God, how to conduct ourselves in the world. Love and joy and peace and patience, all of the good things Jesus not only taught but lived by example for us to follow, but the world has other messages. And the world would say, here are the answers. The answers are revenge. The answers are violence, cruelty, disrespect, rumor, control, power, territory. These are the ways in which you conduct yourselves. And you want somebody to forgive you? No. Forgiveness, that's a sign of weakness. Mercy? No. Kindness, patience, gentleness? Well, that's not how I was raised. Self-control? Well, not on the weekends. (laughs) The yeast, the temptation of Herod is to have Jesus close, is to be around Jesus' people, is to know a little bit but not actually have any change in your life. It's never to allow Jesus to come in and to undo undo the hurt of this world, to undo the brokenness, take away the wounds, take away the mess of life and show you a better way. And instead, just live resigned to the fact that I have to live into the same sin and brokenness that's maybe plagued my friends or my family or generations before me. Herod? Herod was just like his dad. What his dad did in Luke chapter 2, or in, uh, uh, actually in the book of Matthew, with the wise men. Herod executed every child under the age of two just because it was a threat to his power. It's what kings did. That's what Herod's dad did. And now Herod does the same thing. Beware the yeast of Herod. It loves to hold on tight and hold you captive to the way you must live your life.
You know, last week, uh, Don asked us to respond to the Holy Spirit. And even just a simple raising of hand. Do you want the Holy Spirit to descend on you? In Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit descended on those who were waiting, patiently waiting, as they were instructed to do. And in God's timing, when God wanted it to happen, when in the fullness of time, when the time was right, God granted the Holy Spirit to fall on those who were willing to receive it. And Don, as, as he said, hey, raise your hand if you want it. The report back. There were a lot of raised hands. Almost everybody, pretty much everybody raised their hand. To piggyback off of that now, the question today is not just do you want to receive the Holy Spirit. I hope you do. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, that's available to you. Here's the, here's the harder question. Do you want your life to change as a result of the Holy Spirit coming into your life? Oh, boy. Okay, now it's getting real. Now Jesus is, okay, Jesus loves you just as you are, but Jesus will not leave you where you are. Do you know why that is? Because he wants better for you than where you are. And the worst thing we can do is give in to the lie that nothing's really happening or that I don't need any help. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And if we are sinners in need of a Savior, we have a Savior. We have a Savior. And that Savior says, I will save you right where you are. Just follow me. And if you want to follow me, it might mean it's time to make some changes. And I can stand up here and I can throw some rules at you. I can tell you this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Here's, let me give you the list of rules. Here's what I want to say. and here's, here's what the scripture would say. Be obedient to God. Dare to ask him to open your eyes and your ears. And as you listen to what God would say in his word, to what God would say among his people, if you're open to receive that, you make the change. You ask God to change your life. Man. The alternative is Pharisees who are spiritually blind, who do not even see what God is doing. And Herod, who doesn't change his ways, he just keeps Jesus close. How many of us are just tired of that? Tired of not seeing what God is doing, or tired of, like Herod, of just being around this Jesus thing, but not actually having any change in your life. I'm going to ask you right now to raise your hand. If, two questions, would you like to be relieved of your spiritual blindness? Would you like to see what God is doing in the world today? If you would, raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Now, if you would like to receive the Holy Spirit in a way that brings change in your life, would you raise your hand today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Bow your heads with me. Let's deal with this right now. Lord, we come to you. It doesn't matter what hands I saw raised. You saw hands raised. And what that signifies, Lord, is a willing spirit. There is too much brokenness in this world today, Lord. 
There's too much wrong being done. There's too much suffering. And yet we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and you are our Savior. And so for every hand raised in here this morning, Lord, who said they don't want to be spiritually blind anymore, open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts to see and receive what you are doing. Even if it's not specifically right in front of us or happening to us, may we see what's happening to our neighbor. May we see what's happening to our relative. May we see what's happening to those who are obedient and following you, Lord. Open our eyes to it. And may that be so contagious, Lord, that it begins to bring about change. Because there are those this morning, Lord, many this morning, Lord, who wanted to see change, who raised their hand because they're willing to change. Lord, it's easy to raise a hand. Now, now it's got to be done. And in our own power and in our own strength, we will fail. But hands are raised, Lord. We want your spirit to change us. And I pray, Lord, that this week, you would give us the power, your power. Give us your strength to make changes. And when a family member looks at us, because that's weird, that's different, may you strengthen us even further. May they give, be given the eyesight to see the change in our lives and encourage and support, Lord. May we step out of the shadows. May we step out of the, the spectating. May we step off the bench and into your game. Lord, into your world, into your kingdom. Bring about the change necessary that we can cast off evil, cast off sin, get rid of the things that pull us down, and may we find new life and new creation in obediently following you. And as we do, Lord, teach us, reveal to us, guide us in ways that we can live life pleasing to you. We are your servants. We are your people, Lord. Equip us and bless us for your calling, whatever that may look like. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Just before Pastor Gage comes and, and brings a benediction, I, I want you, if, if you were serious about this, I want to know. I'd like for you to drop me a note. Come and talk to me. Come tell me. If you don't feel like we have that relationship just yet, I... I'd be glad to talk to anybody, but you could also just tell someone close to you. And you don't have all the answers yet. I don't know, if, I don't know what that change is going to look like, but hey, I want, I want God to bring about some change in my life. I don't know what that is, but would you pray with me about that? Would you be on the lookout for me? And they're not going to have perfect answers, but just bring someone in to that decision.